Our sermon passage today continues on in our sermon series, True and Better, the Gospel of John. And this morning we'll be looking at a couple of verses from the first chapter that focuses in on the very first time that Simon, who we know as Peter later on in the New Testament, Simon meets Jesus. So read with me here, John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother, Simon, and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it we see a revelation of who you are in Jesus Christ. So I pray in these moments as we reflect on these two verses and we see this incredible interaction, the first time Simon Peter meets Jesus, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see the richness of your grace, to see the richness of the promise of your gospel, and that you would apply it to our hearts that we might depend more and more on you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Names matter. Names matter. They stick with you. And I don't just mean the names that your parents give you when you're a kid. Those are, those are important, of course. You know, a lot of times a parent naming a kid can be a way of honoring someone else or maybe a declaration of hope of what the child will grow into. You know, the name can be a promise in that sense. But a lot of times, the names that cast a longer shadow, the names that matter a lot more, the ones that lift us up or weigh us down are names that other people give us along the way. Not our first names that our parents give us, but the names that people call us along the way, whether that be family or friends or whoever. Um, I have a friend who by any measure would be called a good man. He's actually a fellow pastor. He lives in, uh, in Alabama. And I met him a few years ago. He's in his early 50s. He loves people well. He's a faithful father and husband. He's been a pastor for years. He's had an immeasurable impact on people's lives. He's also a, a professor. Uh, he, he's a counselor. Um, he lives his life committed to following Jesus. He's a good friend. Again, like I said, by any measure we would have, he's a good man. A few years, a few years ago, he and I were talking, and he shared with me something that happened to him 40 years ago that still carries incredible weight, a name that his brother had given him in his early teens that he still in his head answers to, a name that casts a shadow on just about everything he does. He told me a story that he and his brother were doing something together, and he looked up to his older brother, and uh, while they were doing this together, my friend messed up. And his brother looked at him, and he said this, You are a worthless piece of crap. And just those words... Even 40 years later, my friend, again, by any measure, a good man, he still hears his voice calling him a worthless piece of crap. Anytime he messes up, anytime uh, something doesn't go well. My friend said he still answers to that name in a sense. And he knows the good news of Jesus and what to do when he hears that name. He knows to run to Jesus, but it still carries a lot of weight. Now, I suspect this kind of thing is true of many of us, if not all of us. Maybe we weren't called a worthless piece of crap by an older brother, um, but maybe it's something our parents said. Maybe we constantly disappointed them. 
Maybe we were told we couldn't do anything right. Or it may be uh, names given to us by other kids that we grew up with. Teasing names, picking on a facial feature or something uh, you know, wrong with our appearance. It may be names that we've even given to ourselves along, or, along the way. Names we call ourselves when we mess up. But in a sense, I think we carry the weight of these names. We carry the burden of our failures and our weaknesses. We carry the burden of other people's sin against us. In our passage today, we see the moment that a man named Simon meets Jesus for the very first time. Simon's brother, a man named Andrew, tells Simon that he's found the Messiah. He's found the one that they've been longing for, who's going to bring God's grace to the world, who's going to bring redemption and salvation to the world, the one we've been waiting for. And so he brings his brother, Simon, to meet Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus does something remarkable. He gives Simon a new name. In this powerful moment, we watch Jesus give Simon a new identity in giving him that new name, a name that Simon for the rest of his life will grow into, in a sense, a new name that is also an invitation, an invitation for Simon to live a life defined by Jesus and his grace, not defined by his past, his weaknesses, or the names that he had worn before. And I think in this passage, we see something true for us as well. Last week, uh, if you remember the sermon last week, we saw that beholding Jesus for who he truly is means following him. And it means uh, bringing others to him to receive his grace as well. But in this passage, we see something else. That beholding Jesus for who he truly is means being defined by him. means being transformed by him. Now, if you look through Scripture as a whole, you'll see that's not an idea that's just limited to to these two verses. One of the pictures that Scripture gives of the salvation that Jesus brings to us is wrapped up with the idea of names, of God giving us a name. We can see this from the very beginning. If you look back to the book of Genesis, God's initial promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, uh, this first promise that is fulfilled in Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, Um, Notice what it says here in in Genesis chapter 12. God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now we know that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That all families of the earth, all the people of the earth are blessed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Um, It started with that one man, Abraham. But notice, when God makes that promise to Abraham, he tells him he's going to make his name great. And in fact, we see uh, in the story of Abraham that God changes Abraham's name. It was initially Abram, which was a name that meant exalted father. It was probably a religious name at the time. But he changes it to Abraham, which means father of many. A name that God gave to him when Abraham was almost 100 years old and only had one kid. Uh, And that name was a promise. And every time Abraham, for the rest of his life, heard someone call him Abraham, it was a reminder of God's commitment to keep his promises, even if Abraham could only guess what that would look like in the future. So we see it there at the beginning, this concept of name being tied up in God's salvation of his people. But if you read through the rest of Scripture, we'll see it uh, in in an even more prominent way. If you look at uh, the book of Exodus, 
Exodus chapter 3, when God reveals himself to Moses and begins his redemptive work of bringing his people out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt and into the freedom of the promised land, God reveals his name, Yahweh, to Moses, his name. It's a name that means I am what I am, which means uh, it may sound mysterious to us, but it points to the fact that God doesn't need anyone else to define who he is, that God's defined by himself. He's self-sufficient, and it also points to his commitment to bring about what he has promised. He is who he is. He will do what he will do. So he's promised to give Abraham this great name. Through a descendant of Abraham, Moses, he reveals his name. And then later on, when God speaks of Jerusalem as the place where uh, David should put the temple, he chooses this place and he says it's the place where his name will dwell. This is a a, a poetic or, or symbolic sense that God is going to dwell. His name, his commitment to his people will reside there in the temple. Now, if we fast forward, this is all pointing to Jesus. Look at the victory of the the resurrection of Jesus. It's spoken of Jesus being exalted and receiving a name that is above every name. That his resurrection is a vindication of him. And he is being lifted up of the false condemnation, the false names that he had been given in this world. Or scripture speaks of us then being baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so in this sense, Abraham is promised to receive, uh, God promises to make Abraham's name great. He reveals his name to uh, Moses. He says that his name will dwell in Jerusalem. In the resurrection of Jesus, he gives Jesus this name that is above every name. And when we are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are received, in a sense, into the family of God. That name becomes our name. We take on, in a sense, God's name as His redeemed people. And then maybe the most intimate of pictures. If you look at the book of Revelation, chapter 2, Jesus tells John, the one who's receiving the vision that we see in the book of Revelation, That for those who continue to lean upon the victory of Jesus and for those who persevere by faith, who persevere by leaning upon the grace of God time and time again, that we'll be given a new name. That we'll be given a new name that's only known to us and to Jesus. Now the idea here isn't that we're given a code name like James Bond or something, but it's a picture of intimacy and a picture of promise that Jesus gives us a victorious name, a name that overrides the names of sin, the names of defeat and death that we experience and we wear. As you can see, this is a thread that runs throughout Scripture. God will make Abraham's name great through Jesus, who's given the name that is above every name, and we are invited into the victory of that name, and we are invited to be named by Jesus. In John chapter 2, to come back to our passage this morning, we get to overhear, in a sense, this happening to Simon. And I think in seeing this, we see something emphatic that seeing Jesus for who he truly is means being defined by him, means being transformed by him. And we get to see this man, Simon, receive his true and better name, Cephas, a name that he then if we keep reading, stumbled through the rest of his life maturing into. 
Simon, the son of John, as I said, has been brought to meet Jesus. Simon was an incredibly common name in the ancient world. And it had a Hebrew background. It was tied in with the name Simeon, if you've heard that one before. And it means listening. So that's a great name, right? It means listening. Listening for God or listening to God. But almost by an accident of, accident of language, it also had a Greek meaning. Um, so you would say Simon and someone with a Hebrew background would hear one thing. And you'd say Simon and someone with a Greek background would hear something else. It was an accident of language. Kind of like uh, in Spanish, C means yes. But in English, see means, you know, visualizing. You actually see something. Um, in Greek, Simon didn't mean listening. It meant snub-nosed. It was a derogatory term. It's kind of like a schoolyard name that, that picks up weight over time. And so people would maybe hear Simon's name and, and laugh if they were from a Greek background. His name was a derogatory term. So Jesus meets Simon, and he tells him here that he will be called Cephas, which was an Aramaic name, the language that Jesus spoke, which in Greek means Peter, uh, also meaning rock. Both of these mean rock. Sturdy, not snub-nosed, rock. Now, a little bit of a background on Peter might help understand the drama and the significance, the unexpected grace of this moment. I mentioned this last week. Jesus is a newly arrived rabbi on the scene, and he's, he's come on the scene. He's identified by John the Baptist, who was this hugely popular teacher at the time, as the Messiah. This is the one that God's people has been longing for. So Jesus comes on the scene as our new rabbi, and he's picking his disciples, because that's what a rabbi does. He picks his followers to follow him. And at this point, Jesus can kind of have his pick of whoever he wants. He can find the absolute best and brightest to follow after him. In fact, that's what rabbis of the time did. They would look around and they would see young men and they would find the ones that stuck out from the crowd and they would pick their A-team, their varsity, and that's who that, that would be their followers. That's the guys they could depend on. But Peter, Peter at this point was older, much older than 13. He already had a family of his own, a business of his own. He was probably in his 30s, overlooked, he was your average fisherman. If it wasn't already clear from his incredibly common name, Simon, which again to Greek ears sounded like a derogatory term, uh, Simon is a nondescript guy. You could go to any town in Israel and find a dozen men exactly like him. Not the best and brightest, not the cream of the crop, overlooked and left behind. But Jesus tells him here, you will be called Cephas. You, regular, ordinary man, you, snub-nosed, you, Peter, uh, or you, Simon, you will be called Cephas, or Peter, which means rock, rock. And we know where this goes. We know where this goes uh, and, and what this means. If we keep reading the New Testament, though he sticks his foot in his mouth so many times, Simon, or Cephas, becomes the leader of, of Jesus' disciples. He becomes one of the first preachers of the resurrection of Jesus. He becomes someone who plants and leads churches. He leads many thousands of people to find the grace of Jesus. He writes scripture. He made a seismic impact for the kingdom of God that is still being felt today, right now. Through God's grace to him, Simon is invited to lean in on not being just regular uh, ordinary, overlooked, wearing the names given to him, Simon. 
He is invited to be rock, Cephas, steady, strong, to lean upon the strength and power of Jesus, to be defined and transformed by him. In a sense, we all who are listening to this, me and you, we need a new name. We need a new name. Our old names are stained with sin. Uh, Our old names have our past. They bring the reputation for good or bad with them. Or we are wearing names that other people have given us. Again, maybe our parents had told us that we weren't what they wanted or that we are a disappointment or a failure. Maybe we've been called stupid or ugly or fat by friends or enemies. Maybe we've been overlooked and discarded. Maybe we talk to ourselves in ways we would never talk to somebody else. Either way, our old names are stained. We need a new name. So do you know what Jesus calls you this morning by faith and what he calls me? Righteous. Though our sins are many, maybe too, uh, too numerous to count, in Jesus we are gifted the righteousness of God. So in God's sight, we are seen as righteous because of Jesus. That is the name that God calls us. You know what he calls us? He calls us beloved that we are beloved of God, that that is the defining characteristic of who we are, not the names that we've given ourselves, not the names that other people have given us. We are beloved of God, and we can own that. That is my name. I am defined by what Jesus says I am. I am beloved. We can lean into, like Simon did here, we can take on the the, the new name. He took on the new name of Cephas and became a completely different man with a completely different trajectory in life, becoming the person who led incredible numbers of people to the grace of Jesus, who loved God and loved people well, who learned to lean upon the power of God that is enough and not his own strength. We can do the same thing. And so we can begin to wear the name of righteous. We can begin to wear the name of beloved. And that be what we answer to. That be what we lean into. He calls us loved even when we don't feel it. Even when we don't feel this, it is true because He says it. We are beloved because He has made us lovely in His sight. Again, not because of anything we've done. Not because we've earned it, but because He gives it to us by grace. And we receive that by leaning on it, by trusting in it. Not by by doing any works to earn it, by receiving it, by receiving His grace as a gift, what it's always been. We are credited as righteous in His sight. We are adopted into His family as beloved sons and daughters of God. He is renewing every single part of us so that what He's calling us, righteous, beloved, becomes true in our experience, becomes an actual reality that we see born to life in our hearts. This is the good news that we need this morning. So I invite myself right now, as odd as that is, and I invite you to wear the name that Jesus has given you, to answer to that name. You are righteous in His sight. You are beloved. And now we are set on passive righteousness for His namesake, that we no longer have to be people that angle to earn a name for ourselves. We can be people that pursue mercy and justice. We can be people who live our lives loving others, looking to their needs, seeing other people as more important than ourselves, taking on that mindset that Jesus had. 
we can be righteous, we can be beloved, and know that these names are also a promise. Because us leaning into these names is not about us really trying hard. It's not. Our names are a promise. We are beloved because He will love us. We are righteous because He says so. You have been loved. You're loved right now, and you will be loved for eternity in Jesus Christ. Now, it's going to take time for us to get used to answering to these names. Like my friend that I mentioned at the beginning, who still feels the pain of his brother calling him a worthless piece of crap. We may still carry the weight of others putting names on our shoulders. But let's be sure. God's naming of us is more powerful and it will have the upper hand. You are beloved in Jesus, period. With that good news, let's respond, uh, let's pray, and then respond in song. Father, I thank you that you've named us in Jesus, you've named us righteous and beloved, that we can lean into this, that we can depend upon this, that we can trust your word, that we are who you say we are, and that we receive all of this by grace, not by earning but by receiving it as a gift from you. Thank you for this glorious gift. Thank you for this glorious grace. I pray that you would drive this truth home into our hearts, that it become the the foundation of our worthiness, that we would look to you and you alone always to define who we are. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.